Hey there, podcast listeners. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the senior pastor of Williamsburg Baptist Church in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. Uh, and a couple of reasons I'm especially glad to share this one. One, the audio is much better this week. We're, we're working through our technology issues, and the sermon is much easier to, to hear. But two, our guest proclaimer today is the Reverend Susan Blanchard. Susan is the new director of the New Baptist House of Studies at Union Presbyterian Seminary in Richmond, Virginia. And so we're excited and delighted that the New Baptist House meets a critical need for theological education and training for pastors and lay leaders and churches uh, in Virginia for mo- for moderate to progressive Baptist life. Um, and Susan and I worked at the Baptist Theological Seminary at Richmond together uh, year, for years until its closure. We worked down the hall from one another, and so we're good friends. And I've been staying in touch with her, and I'm thrilled that she's stepping into this role as the Baptist House of Studies launches. There's lots of good things going on and lots of reason for us to be excited about it. Uh, you can find out more by listening to a podcast that Susan and I recorded uh, it's available on Williamsburg Baptist Church's podcast page on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and so forth. Would love for you to listen. But my hunch is that I'm so I'm on the advisory board for this Baptist House, and so um, I'm providing creative brainstorming ideas as the Baptist House gets off the ground. But my hunch is that our partnership will continue to grow and deepen as the months and years pass, where we'll be sending them students uh, who are who we identify or the student as called by God to go into to ministry. And they'll in turn send us interns and associate pastors and so forth. And so I think there's going to be a high degree of mutuality between the Baptist House of Studies right up the road in Richmond and Williamsburg Baptist Church right here in Williamsburg, Virginia. Susan uh, is, um, she is a dear friend and she and her husband, Steve, and their two children are members of Richmond's First Baptist Church, and we're we were thrilled to invite her to preach for us today as we acknowledge Martha Stern's Marshall Month of Preaching. Um, so many Baptist churches still don't allow women to enter into the pulpit to preach, but there are good traditions from the earliest period in the life of the Baptist Church where women would acknowledge that God was calling them and they would step into the pulpit to preach. Martha Stearns Marshall is but one example of that. There are a whole host of women who have faithfully responded to the call and churches who have acknowledged that God calls people of all genders to give voice to the word and to give voice to what God is up to in the world. So we're delighted to welcome Susan to preach uh, as we acknowledge that all of us, Baptists especially, have a lot of work to do to continue to elevate women's voices and women's wisdom and prophetic words in the pulpit and in all of life. Susan, we're so glad that you joined us. We're so grateful for the words of wisdom and encouragement and challenge that you shared with us. Podcast listeners, I hope that in this sermon you find something to chew on uh, as Susan will share about Jesus' words uh, and claim to be the bread of life in John chapter 6, verses 35 to 59. 
I hope that this sermon is helpful and um, fruitful for you in your own spiritual life. I pray that it will remind you that God is the one who sustains us all daily with bread and abundance. God bless you this week. Good morning. I bring you greetings from the newly formed Baptist House of Studies at Union Presbyterian Seminary. And I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. I'm thankful to Art for extending the invitation to come be with you during this time of worship. Now, a few years ago, an interesting email came across my way. It was titled, Weird Little Things You Don't Really Need to Know. As I read through the list, a few of these odd little things caught my eye. Did you realize that Walt Disney actually was afraid of mice? <laughs> or duck's quack doesn't echo and no one knows why. Donkeys actually kill more people annually than plane crashes. And American car horns beep in the tone of F. One of the most fascinating things to me is that American Airlines in 1987 saved $40,000 just by eliminating one olive in first class salads. <laughs> You might be interested to know that between the ages of 30 and 70, your nose might still grow half an inch. Between the black and the white stripes on a zebra, there's actually a yellowish brown stripe. Between Christmas and Valentine's Day, 50% of singles consider changing their relationship status. Between, it's a word used to indicate a middle point a place that's halfway, a state that's transitional. We all know people who are between jobs, ministers who are between churches, and friends who are between relationships. Well, as the scene opens on our scripture passage this morning, we find the people from Galilee are also in a between place. For they, like us, are on a journey following Jesus, and seeking to learn from him. A journey that for each of us has had a distinct beginning, but has not yet reached its end. As we peek in on John 6, chapter 1, we find that Jesus has been traveling, and the scripture tells us a large crowd has been following him around. It is this crowd of 5,000 people who Jesus feeds when he multiplies the bread and the fish. This crowd who is journeying with him because they have seen his miracles and they are intrigued. At this point in the story, after the people have been fed, Jesus slips away to escape the crowd and he and his disciples travel across the Sea of Galilee. When morning comes, however, the crowd realizes he is no longer there. And so they, too, search for boats so they can journey to the other side, looking for this man named Jesus. They do not give up, but they actually pursue him, even when there are challenges on their journey. This makes me pause to ask myself and to ask you, 
Where are you on your journey with Jesus? Are you taking the time to notice the miracles he may be performing around you? Are you relentless in your pursuit? Even when the journey isn't easy and it requires work on your part, this crowd doesn't give up. And when they find Jesus, they begin to ask him questions. And it is here that Jesus begins this conversation about bread. You follow me, he says, because you ate your fill of the bread. This doesn't seem too far-fetched to me, because the experience of eating as much as one wanted until they were no longer hungry was probably rare in that day and time. And I imagine the people would follow Jesus if they thought they might eat again. But Jesus wants them to know he will give them a different type of food, one that does not perish, but endures for eternity. To receive this, though, they must believe in him, for he is the bread of life. Jesus reminds the crowd that they have moved from witnessing his power through the miracles they have seen to personally experiencing when it comes that when they were physically fed. He now challenges them to continue moving from experiencing to recognizing the meaning and believing, believing in Jesus as the one sent from God to feed them, but to feed them in a different way. I would imagine the people are confused, maybe even turning to one another and saying, what's he talking about? I'm sure this was a big jump for them to make theologically especially at this point in the story, when we're only in chapter 6. It's still early in John's recounting of Jesus' time with the people who are following him. So at this point in the conversation, the people begin to complain. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his parents. How can he say he's from heaven? Yet Jesus continues on with his lesson, and he continues to talk about bread the staple of many diets in the Middle East, and one of the most accessible foods for people of all wealth and social statuses in that day. Bread would have been understood as a nutritional necessity, essential for someone to have. Jesus is telling the crowd that now he is this necessity. He is essential for life, and not only life in the present, but life in the future, everlasting life. Life that does not die. There's a deep hunger within the people that will never be satisfied, not until they recognize who Jesus really is. He is the Son of God, the same God who sent manna for their ancestors in the wilderness so they could survive their journey. God is now providing a new type of bread from heaven, so these followers will be able to survive as well. When I think of the scene, I imagine the people trying to understand this metaphor and struggling to make sense of it. And in the very midst of all of that, Jesus suddenly throws in another part, a bombshell, which seems inconceivable, that people must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood in order to have this new life, which is eternal. That must have sounded horrible to them, like nonsense. Eat of his flesh, drink of his blood? What? 
Leviticus clearly states the laws of the Jewish people, and one of them was to not eat any meat that still contained blood. The Jewish people went to great extent to make sure all the blood was removed before they consumed anything. Maybe Jesus is suggesting here that a life of following him isn't tied to the law. I'm sure the people listening would have picked up on that point in this conversation, though, because certainly they had to realize Jesus was calling them to view things differently, and to follow him would mean doing things in a way they had never done before. It must have thrown the Jews into a tizzy because they began arguing among themselves, questioning how Jesus could give them his body to eat. They believe what he's saying to be literal, and understandably, they are perplexed. Scripture tells us his disciples even struggled to understand, and many of them turned back and no longer went with him after this because they were offended. We as readers of the story have an advantage that the people following Jesus did not have, though. For we know that 13 chapters later in John, Jesus will willingly give his flesh and blood on the cross, and believers will have eternal life through him. We also know that in 1 Corinthians, which was written about 55 AD, Paul speaks of eating the bread and drinking the cup of the Lord in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. So we have insight into the language Jesus was using. Jesus gave of his body and died on the cross for our sins. And we remember that through the celebration of the Lord's Supper, where we symbolically eat of his body and drink of his blood. But I also wonder, is there something else symbolic from Jesus' words for us to draw out this morning? If we are truly living a life of following Jesus, then what does it mean for us to consume him? What would that actually look like in our day-to-day -day lives? Anthony Ulrich in his book, Feeding on the Bread of Life, may give us some clues. As he writes, using words we typically associate with eating and drinking. If a person tells an outlandish, outlandish story, he says, we might turn to our friends and ask if they are swallowing what they are being told. Someone, for another example, may simply devour a wonderful novel. Others might drink in a lecture from their admired professor. A person might have to chew on the details of a business proposal for a while. Someone following politics might feel that he or she can't stomach another promise for a politician. These statements help to spark my creative imagination. Is this what consuming Jesus in our daily lives might look like for us? Swallowing daily scripture readings, devouring Jesus' words, written in red ink in some Bibles, drinking in the lessons we learn from Sunday school, Bible studies, and sermons each week, chewing on the parables Jesus tells, stomaching the hard things we wrestle with, but we know Jesus still calls us to do. I believe consuming Jesus' body and blood involves bringing him inside of us and allowing him to live there in our hearts, in our daily actions, in our thoughts, and in our souls. This morning, you will have the opportunity to symbolically take of Jesus' body and blood through communion. Yet how else might you consume of Jesus in the days ahead? 
to not only give you everlasting life to come, but life with more meaning and depth in the present. For we all need Jesus and the bread he gives us for our daily journey. Amen.